It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. <laughs> hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. And a very pleasant hello to everybody. Patrick Johnson here with you on the Patrick Johnson Show. It's uh, nice to have you along for the ride here on a uh, Thursday as we uh, have a huge show today. We're going to talk with uh, John Feinstein, uh, best-selling author, friend of the program. Doing live! And we are indeed doing that today. Uh, the uh, one and only Dom Kosolke. I think we're going to lose. Is producing today's program. For a brief moment, I wasn't sure if Dom uh, was, was with us. But he is. Okay. Now, you, didn't yeah. quite, you didn't quite put the scare in everybody that you did on uh, Saturday. Yeah, but, uh, I scared everybody that day. Hear from well, Thank I'm you. glad you're here, Tom. I'm glad, glad to be here. here. Good to see you. Uh, all right. Well, we got a lot to get to today. We got a pirate report with a lot of cuts. We got Feinstein. So let's not dilly-dally. Let's start with today's pirate report. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. All right. Uh, and, uh, start with uh, Johnny Kirkpatrick here. Uh, how do you like the way that the team has started offensively their uh, last couple of games? I was very happy with, with the way we started. You know, the last two games... We've had five possessions in the first quarter between the two games. Well, we had 14 seconds left. We got a third possession. I don't count that because we had 14 seconds. And we've uh, we played really well. In those, we've, we've scored on four of the five. We missed a field goal. Or we scored five out of five. So I think that's one of the things that is why Alex is the guy going out there first right now. Is if you look back, you know, Appalachian, uh, Garden Web, it was the second drive. Rice, it was the first drive. He, he's, he started well. So, yeah, we got to practice the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter now. Because we, we are coming out, which tells me we're ready to play. The kids are still into it. You know, things are good. We're not that far off. You know, sometimes you can, you can still – not win and get the results you want, but not be that far away. Uh, more from uh, Donnie Kay, and he talks about uh, that the offensive line is starting to come together. The last two weeks, the offensive line has started to to play like we had hoped they they would, uh, and you know that's a lot slower than everybody wanted, slower than they they've wanted it to do. I think it's been a couple of things. I think we have adjusted what we're doing up front a little bit. We're helping them out in some pass protections. We're maybe blocking, doing some blocking schemes that fit them a little bit better. I think finally, just the chemistry and the continuity of playing the same five guys together has started to kick in. And, and you know, you, you you want that to be quicker, but you want that to be in spring practice and then through summer and preseason camp, and we didn't have that luxury to do that. And so, uh, like I say, you know, not there, there are no excuses. You are what you are. Your record is what you are. Uh, it's just taking us longer. But they are starting to play well. I, I, physically, I thought we held up against Tulane. More from uh, Donnie Kay. Everybody in the uh, fan base wants this question asked. The media – uh, obliged yesterday if Raheem Jeter will play at all. 
I'd love to. I wish we could. I wish we could play more games. You know what I'm saying? I wish we could play the game and then you know have an, another little scrimmage afterwards or whatever, so you could develop these guys. They, just, you know, you just can't. You're, you're in a three-point game or a tied game at half. You know, and there's just that's not the point place to put him in. You know, I think if if I <laughs> if we did that, I think the rest of the players would go like, "Are you serious?" You know, and nothing against Raheem. I'm just thinking everything like, hey, it's 10-10 out here. You know, we're, we're going against the conference champions. We got a chance to win. And uh, we uh, hear on Cut 12 about the uh, players influencing the quarterback decision with the play around the quarterback from Donnie Kirkpatrick. I have felt like they've, they've really made the decision probably more than, say, Mayor Coach Houston has. I believe it's the players. I think they're playing better around him right now, and that's nothing against Mason. Mason just had an unbelievably great practice after that. I was just walking off the field. I was going like, dang, okay, that's 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 the Mason I know right there. Just just be that guy right there. So it, someday he'll get his his chance again. Everybody knows that it, it comes back around. You better be ready, or then you don't get another chance. But uh, I, I think Alex right you now. Alex was the, the was the captain for the game. And uh, the team sticking together, Donnie Kirkpatrick says they are. This team, I've been on. I've been on teams that we were in it, like seven wins, you know. And it's by the end of the year, you're kind of like, wow, it's getting miserable. You know what I'm saying? And this team is not that way. They like each other. I guess they respect each other. They must treat each other well. Again, Coach Houston's culture is in there. I know we've taken a bad turn right here after we were at boom, 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 boom. But like I say. I, we're not that far off, and and the thing is not in that bad of shape. I know we're not scoring enough points. That's the bottom line. And uh, now to Blake Carroll in today's Pirate Report. Uh, he talks about the leading receiver for FAU, LeJonte Wester. I think he leads all of NCAA football and receptions, 84, 87 receptions, over 1,000 yards in uh, you know nine football games. And certainly they, they work the football to him all the time. I think he has 121 targets. Um, you know, 33 of those on third down, just a lot of different ways to get the football to him. And that doesn't include the handoffs and reverses. He's good. And so he is definitely their go-to guy. Um, you know, we better know where he's at at all times and, and pay a lot of attention to him. The thing they do that's unique with him is he don't just play to the field or to the boundary. They move him around, motion him around, stack him around, and, and find different ways to create matchups and problems for you. So, uh, you know, we've been working, doing a really good job in practice of, uh, identifying who number one is and, and uh, working hard to, to make sure we know where he's at at all times and, and find different ways to maybe double him up and get different guys on him. All right, and uh, the secondary for the Pirates really banged up right now. Uh, it is talked about by uh, uh, Coach Blake uh, here in this cut. T and Will, Omar Rogers out, and you have to move in uh, Julius Wood around, you know, Devontae uh, – Dontavious Nash is playing his, you know, first couple of games and, and getting comfortable right there, and you saw a huge improvement. Uh, Jordan Huff, you know, requiring more snaps out of him. And um, I, I think those guys have done a really nice job back there. You know, obviously missing some guys, but I think those guys are stepping up, and you've seen them get, get more and more comfortable um, as the season goes on. You know, Joyce is now playing. His, it'll be his fourth game at, at the boundary safety. You can see him more comfortable. Dontavious and Jordan, uh, you know, the role for them is even bigger, and you see them taking that on, and you see their athleticism. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, we could talk about, let's see. Uh, speaking of injuries to Jack Powers injury, and uh, this is uh, what uh, Blake Carroll had to say. 
when a young man like Jack Powers pours so much in this program and, and so much in our team and cares so much about this game and you see him go down, it breaks your heart. Um, you know, just because it means so much to him. This team means so much to him, and he's put a lot into it. And, um, you know, feel for him because that's his last snap. And you never know as an athlete when that last snap is. So we always talk about, you know, playing every snap like it's your last snap. And, uh, you know, Jack certainly played that way and certainly did last Saturday. And I think even after, you know, tore, tore his peck there, played a couple more snaps and tried to go as, as much as he could. But Sam Dank is ready for the opportunity. And he has been, and we've been working him in, and, and he certainly, you know, will step up this Saturday and play big for us. There's no doubt in my mind. All right. Uh, there you go. Uh, let's uh, head now to uh, Coach, who talks about uh, the uh, Pirate defensive line in some more detail. That D-tackle, D-line room has really stepped up the last couple of weeks. I mean, you've seen sacks out of those guys, and even in situations when they're having to uh, bring pressure or, or bring guys, and, and they're getting sacks, beating guys one-on-one. And uh, like you said, not only the way he's played on the field the last couple of weeks, but the energy, the leadership, those guys, and, and especially him in that room, bring our football team and bring our defense. They don't flinch. They come to work every single day. Uh, knowing they got a job to do, you know, something ha something bad happens, hey, it's next snap mentality. Something good happens, it's next snap mentality. And, and Big Tay's been right there in the middle of it and big, been a big, big part of why at times defensively played really well this year on defense. All right, there it is, today's Pirate Report. Great job uh, there, Dom. We'll hear more from Dom in a little bit, but when we come back, uh, excited to talk about college expansion with the American and really college football. We'll talk about the death of Bob Knight, all of that with best-selling author John Feinstein, who joins us after these words on the PJ Show. 94.3 The Game, 94.3thegame.com and the IBX Media app. You ready for this? Oh, I'm very ready. Okay, ready? You ready? Streaming to the world at 94.3thegame.com. This is the Patrick Johnson Show. Now in all his glory, here's the P-Man. It is always a treat whenever we get a chance to talk to John Feinstein. He's back with me today here on the uh, show. Uh, John, great to talk to you. Hope all's well. Thank you, Patrick. I hope all's well with you, too. It is uh, kind of a crummy football record for, for yep. East Carolina this year. But, uh, you know, hope springs eternal uh, as we uh, live and die with this stuff week to week as fans. So, so there you go. Um, yeah, it's funny because, you know, I still do pregame stuff for Navy, and uh, I was shocked when they fired Kenny Matalolo last year, as I think everybody was. And uh, with the, the league being reconfigured this year, you thought, I thought, Navy would, would have a better year than they did the last couple of years. But then they turn around and lose the Temple last week. So how do you predict yeah. anything? Yeah, it's... It's interesting, you know. As we and I'm, I'm going to ask you a little bit about Army joining this league in a minute. We'll we'll talk Navy right. and some other things, but you know, just I, I, we'll, let's start with the the, la, the latest domino that kind of prompted this from the American, uh, the Pac-12 uh, imploding, right. and and then you wind up with teams going to the Big Ten, which will make that a better conference, I believe. And then, um, what's happened with the ACC? The ACC that uh, we all know and love, it's not eight teams gathering in Greensboro any longer for a uh, three-day no, tournament. No, that's long gone. That's <laughs> long gone. I, I, I think they're going to start the basketball tournament on Valentine's Day this year. Because <laughs> uh, they have so many teams now. 
Um, but, I, you know, what's gone on in big-time college football and basketball, one of the reasons I'm doing a book right now on the Ivy League, besides the Ivy League football, besides the fact that the kids are great interviews, as you would expect, is that I know the ancient eight will always be the ancient eight. And there's no other conference, really, that you can say that about. Um, Stanford and Cal and, and SMU and the ACC, are you kidding me? Uh, you know, and as he says, I, and my editor at the Post joked with me that uh, he wanted me to cover the first USC Maryland Big Ten conference game. And I said, only if you get me parking. Um, but <laughs> USC and Maryland and Rutgers and UCLA in the same conference? I mean, seriously? Uh, it, it, you know, everybody wrote, well, we saw the last Bedlam game last week between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Well, that's a damn shame. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and it, it, Texas and, and Oklahoma is one of the few traditional rivalries that hasn't gone away. And I, I unfortunately, I guess it won't when they both go to the SEC because they'll be in the same league. When I, the, I, I talked to the commissioner at the Clemson Florida State game a, a few weeks ago, and obviously. He was. This had just happened. He was talking it up. Then they've released the schedule since then, uh, and they have tried. The ACC has tried to preserve some rivalries. I would think Tobacco Road, by and large, has done pretty well with from a Duke perspective because you still have UNC Wake and in, in, in North Carolina. I'm just thinking about football is one thing to a degree. Men's basketball, even a lesser degree, uh, women's basketball is one thing. But I mean, we're we're talking about sending all these teams. To, right to God knows where in the middle of the week. It's for for a two hour deal. Uh, we've lost our minds. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, let's remember that uh, field hockey and soccer and swimming and baseball they they don't fly on charter airplanes. Correct. They, they're going to have to deal with uh, everything that we deal with when we fly commercially. Uh, and like you said, in the middle of the school year. Uh, what's that going to do to the so-called student-athlete? By the way, anytime an administrator calls <laughs> student-athlete, make sure you know where your wallet is. Uh, there's no more corrupt term in sports than student-athlete. It's redundant, for one thing. By rule, you have to be a student in order to be a college athlete. But it's also the way that all these people try to convince you that amateurism still exists. Um, and it does in field hockey and soccer and swimming and baseball, even with NIL, but, um, but it doesn't exist in football. It doesn't exist in men's basketball. Let's be honest. And so anyway, um, you know, I, I hate all of this realignment. I think most of us do. And it's not as the athletic directors is I'm sure Jim Phillips told you this was a great thing for the student athletes. It's <laughs> yes. a great thing to make more money. It's all money. And, 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 and you know what? I wouldn't have a problem with that if they just admit it. Right. We're doing it for the money. And, uh, but they won't. You know, they're a bunch of hypocrites. The big pushback we get from administrators and coaches is, you know, they begrudgingly have accepted uh, NIL. But they still... Well, Supreme Court right. ruled on it. Sure. But they still have this just a... It sticks in their crawl over the uh, the, the the portal, boy. They, and and look, I'm all for an empowering of the athletes. It's good that they're getting something. It's turned into fantasy free agency in, in a lot yeah. of cases, but it's good they get something. The NCAA is too inept 
to to put any guardrails. They just don't have the guts or the stomach to do it. So I, I just, I mean, we're we're heading for that discrepancy between those at the very very top, even those in the ACC and, and perhaps in the American and the Ivies. I mean, it's really going to get out of whack here more so than it already is. And I, well, I, that's not a good thing, I don't think, John. I, I I went to my first college basketball game of the season Monday. It was McNeese State versus VCU. There were 19 transfers in the game. Yeah. 19. 11 from McNeese and 8 from VCU. VCU's seven leading scorers from last year, six of whom were underclassmen, are no longer there. Only one senior graduated among those seven. And this is routine now. I mean, you see, you, you, if you watch a game on TV, you hear you know, when a player is shooting free throws or whatever, you say, well, he played a year here, he played two years there, and then he went to a junior college, and now he's here. Yeah. And that, that, that's routine. And, you know, it used to be in the ACC, you remember those days, Patrick, when almost no one had transfers. Yeah. And if you had one, you had one. And, and Dean Smith probably had – Five transfers in his entire life, um, and but now it's all different. Obviously, you have to get players from the transfer portal if you're going to survive. Billy Lang, who was the coach at St. Joseph's, told me the other day, and I would never have known this stat. There are 300, I think, 54 Division One men's mm-hmm. basketball. He says St. Joe's. One of the reasons they have a lot of high hopes there this year is they were one of Five schools that didn't lose a player to the transfer portal. Mm. Five out of 354. Think about that now. And so it's, it's, it's the Wild West. The NILs you can't do anything about. The transfer portal, you might be able to come up with some kind of reasonable compromise. Because I agree with you, the kids should certainly have the rights, the same rights as the coaches, to change schools. But the problem with it, and, and, and you know, it's, there's some things you can't control. The problem with it is Tom Izzo said to me, you yell at a kid in practice, the next day he's in the transfer board. Yeah. Because they grow up not being yelled at anymore because the AAU coaches don't want to lose them. High school coaches don't want to lose them because kids transfer in high school all the time now too. And so it, it, it and, and it's not necessarily the best thing for the players because, yes, they should have the right to transfer. But when they have that right, and they leave for the wrong reasons, a lot of times they end up at a place that's not good for them. And a, a lot of times you could look at the numbers. I can't. I haven't looked at them lately, but this summer there were several hundred kids in the transfer yeah. portal and people who didn't have a school to go to. Right. That's, that's, that's the tough part. Good. No, that's the tough part in the whole thing. Uh, the uh, best-selling author, John Feinstein, four dozen books, uh, more than 20 have been on the uh, bestsellers list. Uh, John, uh, basketball Hall of Famer, all kinds of Hall of Fames that John Feinstein is uh, in. And uh, he's he's a, a great guest every time he is uh, good enough to join us here on the PJ Show. So, uh, John, um, is it, where, where does that end up? Just to put a bow on the whole expansion and before we get into the American fallout, where does all of this eventually, in your mind, end up? Uh, great question, Patrick. I wish I knew the answer because I could probably get pretty rich. <laughs> um, there, um, we're a long way from putting a bow on it. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, 
And realignment isn't going to just go away. There are going to be teams, schools uh, looking and conferences looking to change who they are constantly in order to increase their TV dollars. That's what this is all about. You know, the Big Ten has always had the best TV contract because they were ahead of the curve uh, creating their own TV network. Um, and they want to keep the bucks going up. The SEC has trailed them, but not by that much um, because they've had the best best teams in football. Uh, the ACC has been way behind because it's not good in football. And please, I don't want to hear from the apologists how good the ACC is in football. they got one good team right now, Florida State. Um, and in the years when Florida State wasn't any good, they had one good team, Clemson. Everybody else is what I call a 6-6 six and six bowl team. Right. Whether they win six games or eight games or seven games, they're, they're, they're going to play in the Cheez-It Bowl. Um, and I use the Cheez-It Bowl because that's the silliest name among all the silly names. <laughs> um, but but it's not going it, to – this isn't going to be the end. I mean, we all know Clemson and Florida State are looking around um, that they could end up in the SEC. They could end up in the Big Ten. There were rumors that North Carolina wanted to go to the Big Ten. And I think the only thing that was holding them back was that uh, – the Big Ten didn't want Duke as a football team, even though Duke's gotten better now. Yeah, uh, but it's not going to end. Like they said to you at the, at the very beginning, the only league I feel confident that won't change is the Ivy League. Everybody else will keep changing. Well, and when I hear someone say they don't want Duke, here's the reality of all these schools that are moving to these conferences: somebody's got to finish last. Yep. Yep. Somebody's got to finish last, but. What matters more to the commissioners and to the presidents and the ADs is how valuable is that team? Does that team bring value? You know, TV value. I mean, Maryland and Rutgers have been horrible since they went to the Big Ten. You know, um, I think Maryland's record against the top four teams in the Big Ten East through the years now is like 3-40 and or something. And they lost their last four games at home to Penn State by an average of 40 points mm. per game. I, I still remember when, when they first made the move, what was it, 2013 it was announced, or 2014, and I saw – this is 2012, actually. And I saw David Stern at the Hall of Fame induction. And David is a grad, was a graduate of Rutgers. Mm-hmm. And I so what do you think of your alma mater in Maryland going to the Big Ten? He said, that's child abuse. And it was pretty damn Um And so, but you're right. They didn't bring Maryland and Rutgers in to be good or be, even be competitive. They brought them in for their TV market. And that's that's what drives all of this realignment. Why is Washington State, uh, why does Washington State, and why do Washington State, I can speak English, Patrick, and Oregon State <laughs> not have a conference? Because they're in Corvallis, Oregon, and Pullman, Washington. Right. So, th- 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 there are 27 TV viewers in those two markets. It has nothing to do with the quality of their teams or their schools or anything else. Uh, John, with the American um, and the addition of Army, to me, that is a survival of the, the fittest from the standpoint of there's only so many teams as well from an athletic department perspective that can spend at a level to even be in a conference like the American. Uh, SMU's attractive to the ACC because they're not going to take money for seven years, and, and, right. and they have enough money to, to sustain that on some level. So, for 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
that's Army that can apparently spend at the football level to to be competitive. How do you see? Because look, we remember when they were in Conference USA that almost killed the program. It was a disaster. Uh, it, it, it ended with an zero and thirteen season because having a bad team, they went ahead and said, "Let's schedule an extra game in Hawaii." <laughs> well, that was the reward. That was the payoff yeah. for every for all the misery. They at least got to go to Hawaii. Um, but you know, I was asked as early as 1995 when I was doing my Army Navy book um, by the Army people, "What do you think of us going to Conference USA?" And I said, "You're crazy." Um, you need army needs to have control of its schedule. Paul Johnson turned Navy around years later with a four, four, four theory. The theory was schedule four games. You know, you can win four games. You're probably going to lose and four toss ups. And that way, if, when you're good, you can win eight to nine games. When you're not good, you're still going to win five or six games. Right. And it worked. And, and the, the Navy started going to bowl games every single year under Paul Johnson after his first season and continue to do so under Kenny Niamatololo. Now, since they joined what was then the Big East, what is now the American, they've had some very good teams. Mm-hmm. But the last one was 2019 when they went 11-2. and two. And I think the changes in the American will help Navy and will ultimately help Army because you don't have Houston in the league anymore. You don't have Cincinnati in the league anymore. Notice Cincinnati's two and seven in the big 12 this year. Yeah. Have you, yeah, which went 13 and oh, that one year, um, and 12 and one another year in the league. Instead, you've got teams like Charlotte and UAB who are, who are beatable Texas, San Antonio. Um, but I believe present tense that both army and Navy should be independent. And that what they have said is, well, if we're independents, we can't get a schedule. Yes, you can. You know why? Because you're Army and Navy. And people are going to want to play the military academy because it looks good on the schedule because they're never going to be great. You're always going to have a chance to win against the military academy if you're any good. Um, and, uh, and and they'll get in bowls because there are, what, 42 bowls now? Yeah. Yeah. If you win six games, no matter who you are or where you're playing, you're getting in a bowl. And especially if you're Army or Navy or Air Force, which played well in the Mountain West through the years, that's a different league and Air Force is a different kind of school, even though they're both it's a military academy. But the the point being that I think this is a mistake for Army. I thought it was a mistake for Navy. And Navy's actually done better than I thought it was, which is a tribute to Kenny Amatololo and the kids who he's, he was able to recruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think this is a mistake for Army, but I also think it's good for the league because it looks good, as I said, on your schedule to play Army and Navy, and they're going to be games you can win. You're not going to get you're – not, you're not playing Notre Dame or Texas or, you know, any of the other powers, Michigan, um, and you probably won't get spied on by, by Army and Navy either. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, John – Feinstein. We're going to have more with John after uh, this timeout, but right now, Dom Kosolke, 94-3 the game, sports update and pirate report. ECU at FAU on Saturday. It's a 4 p.m. kick, and the coverage starts on 94-3 the game at 11.30 a.m. on Saturday and on the IBX Media app. ECU women's basketball plays their home opener tonight, the banner revealed from the AAC Tourney Championship win. 
Tip-off at 6 p.m. versus Upstate at Minji's Coliseum. The Panthers are taking on the Bears in a matchup of last place teams. Carolina will visit Chicago tonight for Thursday night football at Soldier Field. Coverage begins at 7 on Talk 103.7 WTIB with a kickoff at 8.15. Chicago is favored by 3.5 points. That'll do it for your Pirate Report. We'll be right back with more of the Patrick Johnson Show right after this quick timeout. Sometimes you just don't know if you want to kiss him or slap him. Ow! Either way, he'd probably like it. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. John Feinstein is with us. It's always great to, to catch up with uh, John. Faraday is the book that we talked to him about a few months ago. Uh, it would make a great Christmas gift for anyone out there, anything that you're giving for the holidays, uh, the book Faraday about uh, the uh, the remarkable uh, life and times of David uh, Faraday, the uh, the always entertaining golf uh, analyst who now is with Liv. Um, I think since we talked to you as well, John, uh, Liv and the PGA have merged, seems like a strong word. Uh, they've played some footsie, and uh, the players are really unhappy about it, obviously, from the PGA side. Several of them are. Uh, and, yeah. and we don't have a clue where what this is going to look like. It, it might be more confusing than conference expansion or unknown. <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. I, I don't have a clue, uh, and I'm not sure anybody else does. Uh, you know, they're, they're, the, the Justice Department has said it's going to look into whether the merger is legal. Liz uh, has a full schedule uh, right now for next year. Uh, how do you incorporate live players into the PGA Tour? Um, the world rankings, uh, official world golf rankings, have ruled that live events still won't count. And part of that's because it's 54 holes. Right. Um, and I think that's legitimate, um, although it's, it's punitive that they're trying to keep them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where where do the top players from live fit in in terms of the majors? There are, I think, six of them who are major champions who have to be led into the majors. But then there's a bunch more that, that are very good players that haven't won majors that as of this moment have no status in the world ranking. So you're right. It's, it, it, it's as, at least as confusing as realignment. And I don't know where it's going to end up. I mean, it's certainly not going to end up with a full live schedule and a full PGA tour schedule. Ultimately you can't have that. They don't fit. Um, but they haven't resolved it yet. And, uh, you're right. Jay Monahan pissed off a lot of people when he negotiated in secret. You know, Rory McIlroy was his shield standing in front of him saying, if you want to get to Monahan and the tour, you got to go through me for 16 months. And then Rory woke up one day and there was this knife in his back. And it was Monahan <laughs> who put the knife in his right, back. Right, right. And if you're Rory McIlroy, how does that make you feel? Not good, I don't think. No. Does Monaghan survive all this ultimately? I don't think so. I, I'm actually, but to show you what I know, I'm surprised he's still there now. So maybe he will. Um, but I don't see how he does because so many players who stuck with the tour, who turned down literally in some cases hundreds of millions of guaranteed dollars, um, have to be furious with him for negotiating in secret. Uh, and he didn't even uh, talk to his policy board about the negotiations until they were basically done. So 
I would be surprised. But you know, he'll walk off with a fifteen million dollar golden umbrella, or right? Like that. But do, don't you, do, in a way, do you do you kind of buy that the the tour had to do this or at least something? That's to give an excuse that they were going to run out of money, and obviously, Liv wasn't going to run out of money. And that, but but again, the secrecy thing is an issue, regardless. Sure. And sure. the the other thing is, okay, you, you say that I want to see your book like when the major league baseball owners always pleaded poverty whenever there was a work stoppage in baseball and the players would say, okay, show us your book. Oh no, we can't do that. Um, so until and unless I see the books that prove that, that they're hurting that much financially, um, I, I'm not buying. Last week, Bob Knight, uh, died. And that is the book season on the brink that sort of launched it all for you. Yep. What, what were the, um, emotions, the thoughts when you learned of his death? Well, I, you know, I had known that he was sick, Patrick, that he had dementia. And I'm still close with a number of his close friends out in Indiana. So I'd, I'd been told this was coming. Uh, in fact, on, on his birthday, October 25th, uh, I called a couple of friends who I knew would go see him because it was his birthday. And a couple of them told me, you know, that he was completely out of it, which happens, as you know, at the end with dementia, and that uh, it was probably at most a week. And he died exactly one week later, so it didn't come as a shock to me. I was certainly prepared for it mentally and emotionally. Um, and it's, but it's sad. It's sad for anybody to die that way. Dean Smith died of dementia. Uh, one of the saddest ironies to me is. Probably the two best memories of any one I've known in sports were Dean Smith and Bob Knight. They both died of dementia. Mm-hmm. How sad is that? And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I've always had, since I wrote Season on the Brink, a um, complicated relationship with Bob. He, I, I mean, I can never thank him enough for the access he gave me, which made that book what it was. Uh, on the other hand, he called me a lot of names after the book came out and <laughs> I always tell the story that in 1994, eight years after the book was published, I was in Hawaii uh, covering the Maui classic. And I was walking back into the hotel one afternoon with Gary Williams um, and uh, Knight and a friend of his, Bob Murray, who helped him put on his clinic were walking through the lobby and they stopped when they saw us coming. And Gary, I remember Gary saying, "Uh Oh, here we go. And Bob couldn't have been friendlier. He acted like we we had, we last talked a week earlier or something. How are you? How, I hear you had a son. How's that going? That kind of thing. Yeah. And when they walked away, Gary looked at me. And said, "After all the names he called you, why would you speak to him?" And I said, "Because he built my house." <laughs> and, and, and it's true, he did. Yeah. And he helped build my career. Yeah. So. I've always been grateful to him for that. And yet I've, I've seen the other side up close and personal. He, Bob could be a bully, was a bully. Uh, he was certainly a misogynist. Uh, he, he treated people who were close to him at one point very badly, most notably Mike Krzyzewski. And, uh, and I always found that sad. Uh, Bob always had to have the last word in any argument on any subject. And, and he was this self-destructive, and as brilliant as anybody I ever met. So he was certainly someone you couldn't explain in a sentence. He was close with Dean Smith. A lot of his players that he was 
that played for him in, in a lot of cases were fiercely loyal to them and vice versa. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think you could deny what he meant to the game of basketball. That's, you know, this no, is all part of the complicated legacy. But, I mean, it, it, it just seemed like, as you said, even some of those close to him, it was uh, it got bad for some of them in the, as far as the relationship, but you know yep. that's just and then you know he there's the famous thing circulating around these parts as you can imagine about what he had to say about Michael Jordan during the Olympic uh, situation about the best basketball player ever um, that he yeah approached. he said that to me on a number of yeah so I mean it's it's and and it could like you just said turn on a dime <laughs> I mean yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That 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 was Bob Knight. I, I I've always said the only grain in life was his hair, because <laughs> he either he either loved you or he hated you. I experienced both, um, and uh, there was never any in between with him in an argument. He could never lose an argument. He had to win arguments. No matter again, no matter what the subject was. I still remember. Um, we were out to dinner one night the year I was there and it was before uh, an NBC game and Al McGuire was there who was close to Bob and we went out to about eight of us went out to dinner and somehow we got in a conversation about uh, the famous 1971 Pennsylvania team that was 28-0 going into the regional final and got crushed by Villanova and uh, Bob made the comment that he had scouted that game because Ohio State was still alive and Fred Taylor was his college coach. And he was still at Army at the time. And uh, he said, that team was 28-1, and then they got crushed. And I said, no, Bob, they were actually 28-0, and then they got crushed. And he said, John, I was at the game. They were 28-1. <laughs> and I said, because I could be kind of a jerk myself, um, I said, I'll bet you $10,000 they didn't have. Uh, that they were 28 no. He yeah. said, well, I'm not going to yeah. take $10,000 from you. I'll bet it's $100. I said, you got it. So there was no in internet at that time. And so Knight sent Bob Hamill, the sports editor of the Bloomington paper, who was his man Friday, to call the paper and have them look it up. So a few minutes later, Bob comes back and he's white as a sheet. <laughs> and, he says, and Knight says, well? And he says, uh, Bob, uh, Penn was 28 no going into that game. And Knight turns and he points a finger at me and he says, I don't want to hear another word about your blanking memory because he couldn't just say that right. I was right. Right. And he never paid me the hundred bucks. <laughs> more than made up for it. Right. Right. Uh, you'd have, you'd have framed that it. that was Bob. He just, yeah. It, and, yeah. and, you know, Dean Smith, as smart a man as I ever met, Mike Kishansky, as smart a man as I ever met, they were wrong about things at times. You know, uh, Dean Smith took, Maktar Jai as a, as a transfer. Um, Mike Dzeski recruited Joey Beers, you know, over Joe Smith for mm -hmm. crying out loud. Mm -hmm. So, no matter how smart you are, no matter how good you are at something, you're going to make mistakes. And the smartest thing to do is say, "Hey, I made a mistake," and try not to repeat that mistake. Right. But Bob never made. It. I know you've talked about this before. Last thing for you, but in getting that access, because you were fairly. I mean, you you were known in certain circles, but you weren't. John Feinstein wants to do a book on you. How how did you gain right. the the trust and the access to to get that access? Well, I I, I had covered his 1981 national championship team for the Post, 
covered all six games because Maryland was in the, played them in the second round. So I saw him from the beginning that year. Um, and I also covered his 84 Olympic team. Uh, and so I'd gotten to know him. I'd written a couple magazine pieces about him. I wrote one about his coaching protege that he really liked because I described how he helped prepare like Krzyzewski, Dave Blitz, uh, Bob Weltlick, whomever you want to name, Jim Cruz, uh, to be head coach. And he had called me after that magazine piece. It was in Sporting News and said, listen, whenever you want to come out for some reason, just let me know. So I had. And so we had a good relationship. And after he threw the chair in 85, I happened to be in Bloomington before he threw the chair. Mm-hmm. And he'd given me total access for two days. Team meetings, locker room practices, everything. And um, I wrote a long piece about him at, right after he threw the chair. And he called me again. And he said, look, I know you had to write about the chair. I understand that. But you were fair. You told both sides of the story, and I appreciate it. And I said, well, that's because you gave me the access you did, Bob, and allowed me to do that. And he invited me to a dinner that he used to have at the Final Four with his coaches, friends, buddies, you know, 10 or 15 people. Um, and I realized that he was inviting me into his inner sanctum. Mm-hmm. And I thought if I could get access for a season the way I had for those two days, there might be a book in it. I'd never written a book, so I didn't know what the hell a book was. <laughs> but at, after the dinner that night, uh, that it was Saturday night, this is when they used to play the final four games at a reasonable hour on Saturday. Um, I said, if you got a minute to talk, he said, sure, come on back to the room. He was rooming with Pete Newell, the great Pete Newell, who was one of his mentors. And so Coach Newell, Bob, myself, and Mike Shefsky went back to the room because um, Shefsky and Knight were doing a clinic the next day. Mm-hmm. And they had to discuss exactly what they were going to do. So when they were done, Bob said, what can I do for you, John? So I told him what I'd been thinking. And he said, do you, have you ever written a book? I said, no. He said, do you have a publisher? I said, well, I didn't think there was much point in trying to get a publisher until I talked to you. And he said, well, that was good thing. As it turned out, by the way, <laughs> five publishers turned the book down. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. But so he said, well, if you can get a publisher, come on out. So Krzyzewski and I leave. The door closes. And Mike looks at me and he says, are you out of your blanket mind? <laughs> and I said, what? He said, you're volunteering to spend a winter with him? And I said, well, you played for him. You coached for him. He said, I needed to go to college. You've been to college. I needed a job. You have a job. You're out of your blanket mind. So I said, well, I'm going to try to do it anyway. I probably won't get a publisher. And as I said, five publishers turned the, the book down. But I did eventually get a publisher, Macmillan, and uh, I called him back and said, are you still up to do this? And he said, yeah, come on out. I did. You know the rest. Unreal. Hey, uh, John. Yeah, it really is. It's a great story how that came together. Uh, crazy, John. You know, uh, I, you know how much I admire you, and you're one of the best. And I appreciate your time always. So uh, glad to do it, Patrick. We'll uh, talk good soon. Good luck to the Pirates this week. Good luck to the Mids when they play one another. They're both going to need it. <laughs> they are. Thanks, John. Take care. Okay. See you, Patrick. Bye. All right, there he is, the great John Feinstein. Great to have him uh, on with us. Uh, All right, we'll uh, take a break, and when we uh, get back, we will uh, wrap up the show for you today. It'll be a pat not show, so uh, take a break. 
And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. Uh, welcome back. Great to have John Feinstein on today. Great interview with John. We uh, have Pirate football coming your way this weekend, 4 o'clock, a 3 o'clock airtime on 107.9 WNCT. Uh, so uh, note that if you're going to be uh, out and about, you can pick up uh, the game anywhere in eastern North Carolina on 107.9 WNCT. Uh, we will join that game in progress here on 94.3 The Game on uh, Saturday. Uh, we're going to have uh, Pirate Game Day Countdown fueled by Bush Light from 11 to 2. Excuse me, from 11.30 to uh, 1.30. And uh, then we're going to have uh, basketball on 94.3 The Game. ECU and Campbell, that's a 2 o'clock tip. Uh, Darren Vaught and uh, Coach uh, Perry will be on the call there. Of course, you can always watch that as well on uh, ESPN Plus with Cy Seymour and yours truly. Uh, and then uh, once the basketball game and the postgame show wraps up, we'll uh, jump right in to uh, football uh, where they are at that point. Probably will be about midway through the uh, – well, that might actually be close to uh, the midway of the first quarter probably. I would guess, or close to the end of the first quarter. We'll see, but uh, that'll be on 94.3 The Game. Panthers and Bears tonight, 7 o'clock on 103.7 WTIB, Talk 103.7, and uh, that'll kick at uh, 8.15. Uh, you can listen to the Panthers radio network on there if you're uh, brave enough to do that. A uh, couple of uh, news and notes from today. LaDante uh, Le- Felton, who is the younger brother of R.J. Felton, has signed a uh, National letter of intent with ECU. He's uh, either number one or number two in the port uh, in point guard rankings for the state of South Carolina. So that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and then uh, our guy uh, Shane uh, Winkler has uh, signed a really good class for ECU softball. It was announced uh, today. Uh, a pitcher, Kendall Frost, uh, Jenna Kroll, who is uh, a uh, catcher and an outfielder. Ava Fisher, who is a pitcher and plays first out of the New Jersey area. Uh, Gabby Fowler, who's a third baseman and catcher from uh, Indiana. And uh, out of Raleigh and Wakefield High School, Brooke Massengale, who is uh, also a catcher and an outfielder. So this is a really big in the softball circles uh, class, according uh, to uh, experts. And uh, Shane Winkler doing a great job, he and his staff. Uh, and they're looking forward to getting uh, that uh, group onto campus uh, next year. So all of those uh, seniors will be uh, coming to ECU, and that's really great stuff. Happy uh, to have them as part of uh, springtime here in Pirate Nation. All right, well, that'll do it for today's program. Tomorrow we'll talk to you about Team Boneyard. Uh, and uh, really interesting things. They've got some new board members. We're going to meet one of them tomorrow. Be on at six o'clock. So take note of that. Brian Mull will also be with us, and uh, Mull will be uh, talking college basketball. Tons of it uh, tomorrow. That's intriguing. We'll also preview ECU and Campbell basketball with him. So that's all on uh, Friday. We'll be on after the Logan Zone at six o'clock. Thanks, Tom. Just hope you have a great evening. Everybody.